0: are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. You do not know all that I know. You do not know the heartache and the heartbreak in a service like this. There are people this morning in this room that just won't be able to make it unless they get strength supernaturally from God today. I have averaged for the last 13 months 85 personal counseling sessions a week. Eighty-five. Now you add that up. And you'll find in 10 weeks, that's 850. And in a year, that's over 4200 personal counseling sessions. And you know that most of them are people in need or in trouble. I recall a a year or so ago, a little lady in our church, mother, wife, she came to my, she, she'd been to my office many times with problems and asking for counsel and so forth. She came by the office one day and she made an appointment with me. Got dressed up. Drove all the way from Mountain Highland or Griffith or somewhere where she lives. Came all the way to the church. Waited to see me for a while. And I said, Come in. What's your problem today? She said, None. I said, What are you here for? She said to tell you that everything is all right. I almost dropped over. What do you need me for if everything's all right? You know, I was thinking last night about something. I was thinking about all the children I talked to that are having problems. Little child doesn't do his reading at school and makes a bad grade. Well, The thing to do is come by and see the preacher. And I I talk to all the kids that are in trouble. And sometimes I wonder if our whole youth department, junior department, primary department, the whole thing just go into the devil. Because I never talk to anybody that's not in trouble. Uh, Oh, that's not quite true. But sometimes I talk to people that I'm going to cause some trouble for. But I, uh, I was thinking, I don't even know many of the, many many of the better kids in our church. You know, in the army, if if the, if the captain, a company commander, didn't know you, that's a sign you weren't in trouble very much. But there's a, there there are burdens galore in this room. I know of that many people in this room this morning who have cancer and know it. And humanly speaking, according to the doctors, the case is terminal. I know of many, many, many people in this room this morning who have burdens. If you knew the burdens that they bear, you would fall to your face and pray for them. And so I come once again to preach the Bible. And I hope that you'll be attentive. That's why I say sometimes, listen, children, young people. Listen, somebody behind you. You you may not know it. To you, it's just coming to church. To you, it's just waiting until that guy gets through. You know the story Russell Anderson tells about the little fellow that that uh, went to church and got so tired and worn out and the preacher was dull and boring and dry and and finally the service was over, the preacher preached for four days that morning. And and so uh, went home, the boy said, Mom said, so Glad that's over, I never want to go do, go through that again And six o'clock that night the mother said, Let's go back to church the boy said, I Don't want to go. I can't stand it. I can't stand another one like that. She made him go back. He sat there. The preacher preached five days that night. And after it was all over, <coughs> little boy Finally said, I said, lad, it's over. I'll tell you, mother, I never was so glad to get out of place in my life. He said, mama, what were the three flags on the, pl- on the pulpit all about? Three flags up there. What, were the, what did they stand for? And the little mother, mother said, son, said, the one on the right is American flag. One on the left is the Christian flag. And the one in the middle is in honor of those that died in the service. And the boy said, mama, was that the morning service or the evening service they died in? <laughs> now, to many of you. Many of you, it's just, you just come to church to endure it. You're supposed to come every Sunday. There's something in our society and in our culture that says you're supposed to go to church. But there are people by the dozens in this room who are like little birds waiting for a worm to drop. They've got to get the truth. They've got to get strength. They've got to get help. They can't face today. I know of no picture any more beautiful in the entire Bible than the picture in John chapter 17. Our Lord is praying in Gethsemane. Behind him is the wonderful and beautiful talk that he had with the disciples in the upper room. Just a few minutes ago, he was quoting such beautiful words as, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. Just a few moments ago, he was quoting such beautiful words as, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Just a few moments ago, he was gathered around the table with his own. He was serving them the, the unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine in the institution of the beautiful ordinance of the Lord's Supper. Just a few moments ago, he was taking off his garment to the waist and, and, uh, and girding himself and getting a basin of water and washing the feet of his beloved disciples. Just a few moments ago, he was with them. Now he's alone in the garden of Gethsemane. Nine, uh, one of the disciples says it will, will forsake him and uh, deny him tonight. And just even now, lurking in the shadows, Judas Iscariot is making his bargain with the soldiers to sell his own soul for 30 piddling pieces of silver. Eight of the disciples are at the foot of the mountain. Three have come up bed, but even they are now asleep. Peter, James, and John are sleeping. See our Lord, those of you who have been there, in that beautiful little clump of olive trees, right across From the temple site, just across the valley of Ketron, in that beautiful little clump of olive trees, I can see it now. No greater blessing have I ever received in all of my travels than I received when I knelt in the garden of Gethsemane. And sang neath the stars of the night, walked the Savior of light in a garden of dew-laden breeze. Not my will, thine be done, cried the Father's own Son, as he knelt neath the old olive trees. And so I see him kneeling beneath those trees. A while ago was the upper room. A while ago was the washing of the feet. A while ago was the supper. A while ago the beautiful words were spoken. But in just a few moments, as close as yesterday is tomorrow, in just a few moments, he'll receive the kiss of betrayal by the dastardly act of Judas betraying his own master. In just a few moments, the soldiers will come and lead him away. In just a few moments, Peter will try to behead one of the soldiers and, and uh, amputate his ear. In just a few moments, our Lord will be led to the high priest. In just a few hours, he'll be before Pilate for trial. In just a few hours, he'll go to Herod and have Herod laugh at him and mock him. In just a few hours, he'll come back to Pilate and hear Pilate say, I find no fault in this man. And hear the words of his wife saying, have nothing to do with this man. I was tortured last night in a dream concerning him. In just a few hours, he'll be, he'll be stripped to the waist. In just a few hours, the cat of nine tails shall be placed on his back for 39 awful times. In just a few hours, Jesus, who now is praying in Gethsemane's in garden, is going to be so beaten, his body will be absolutely unrecognizable. Isaiah 52 says, you could not even tell that his body was that of a human being. In just a few hours, Jesus knows that he's going to be laid, uh, laid on a cross. In just a few hours, he knows he's going to nail that cross and lifted between heaven and earth. In a few hours, he knows the darkest hour of his whole life will come when he'll bear the sins of all the world and the Father will turn his back upon Jesus and Jesus will cry, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But if you listen very carefully, you'll hear him pray. Sometime in between that beautiful scene in the upper room and that awful scene on the upper cross. Just a, sometime right, right in the middle of that those beautiful words that he said in the upper room. And those awful words he'll have to say on the cross, My God, why hast thou forsaken me? you see him kneel in the Garden of Gethsemane. A beautiful little spot. I know of no more beautiful or sacred spot to me on the face of the earth than the Garden of Gethsemane. He prays. The Bible says "While he prays. He's so earnest that his perspiration becomes colored. And finally it becomes red. And on from his brow there there are beads not of white perspiration but of red perspiration like blood. He prays for several things. Have you ever heard anybody pray? Have you ever heard anybody pray and they did not know you were hearing them? The other night I was in a distant city. I went to Knock on the door of John R. Rice. The door was open about that far. He was on his knees beside the bed. And I listened to him pray for about five minutes. I felt the burden of his heart as he prayed. And I heard him as he called several names in prayer, including mine. Jesus is kneeling. He's praying. He prays for you and he prays for me. He prays... For our unity. He prays that we'll love each other. He prays that we'll be one. Even as he and the Father are one. He prays for our separation from the world. He prays the devil will not get a one of us. He prays we'll be kept. In his love. And then he makes a startling statement. He says I pray not. I pray not. That does not sound like the words of our Lord. I pray not. I pray not. Now, what will Jesus not pray for? I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world. Why? Doesn't he want us? He's going to heaven. Doesn't he want us? Well, you know he does. He made us for fellowship with himself. He who loves wants the object of the love with himself. And Jesus wants us with him. And it will be the crowning day of all to him and for him and for us when we're together never to be separated again. But our Lord says, I pray not. Why? The world needs us. The world needs us. Listen to me. Inland steel needs you. Ford Motor Company needs you. Youngstown Steel needs you. Hammond, Indiana needs you. Your neighborhood needs you. Your family needs you. Your town needs you. Elijah once prayed that he would go on and be with the Lord, but God did not grant that request. David once said, Oh, that I had wings like a dove. Then would I fly away and, be at, and be, uh, away and be at rest? Paul said he had a desire to depart, but God has not granted us that privilege. Why? Because the Bible says we are the salt of the earth. We are the only thing that keeps... Listen, did you know if all the Christian folks were to suddenly drop dead, this world would go to, de- go to the devil and would not stand? We are the salt. Anybody here ever have a smokehouse when you were a kid? Huh? I don't mean where you go out and do that. I mean a smokehouse. A smokehouse is where you 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 salt your meat and put your ham and your bacon and so forth. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Put your roast beef and <clears throat> and uh, and so forth. But you put your uh, cured ham. What does it mean? You put salt on it. You savored it. And just as that salt savors that ham and savors that bacon, we are the salt of this earth. One fellow said to me one day in Hammond, he said, I wish all you Christians would just leave this town. And I said, you better thank God we haven't or you'd go to the devil right away for all that keeps it together with the salt of the earth. Carlisle said, religion is the determining factor of any and every civilization. Henry Watterson said, the paramount question underlying democracy is the religion of Jesus Christ. Eliminate Christ and you leave the world to eternal war. Earl Haig said, the Church of Christ is the world's only social hope and the sole promise of world peace. Lloyd, Lloyd George said, now it is either Christ or chaos, either the Kingdom of God or world revolution. Daniel Webster said, to preserve the government, we must preserve morals and morals rest on religion. You know what's happened in our country? You know why our morals have gone? Because we do not believe the Bible anymore. This nation was built on the principles and the culture of the Bible and the religion of Jesus Christ. We have no morals. We're trying to legislate morality. You can't legislate morality. Morality starts on the inside when man is born again and has his faith in God and becomes a new creature and believes every word in his book and obeys this book as best he can. And no society can be democratic without Jesus Christ. For he is the he is the, the 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 martyr that holds the brick of our culture together. Woodrow Wilson said, "Our nation cannot survive materially unless it be redeemed spiritually." Macaulay said, "Whoever does get this, whoever does anything to depreciate Christianity, is guilty of high treason against the civilization of mankind." What what are all these fellows saying? Why? What's our Lord say? I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world. Our Lord is saying the world needs us. The world needs us. These folks in Hammond, Indiana, that don't like us fundamentalists, they need us. And this area needs us. Listen, this area would have gone to the devil a long time ago if it hadn't been for this church. And the influence, the savoring influence of this church. I know folks laugh at you, but they need you. I know sometimes they hate us, but they need us. They need the salt of the earth and the light of the world, which we are, to go into the world and savor it and salt it, lest destruction would come. Our Lord did not save you just to take you to heaven. If our Lord saved you just to get you to heaven, if that's all, why didn't He save you and kill you? Don't you think it'd be a good thing? Here's a person who comes down the aisle, he receives Jesus Christ, his sins are forgiven. He has his name written in heaven. If he dies, he'll go to heaven. Now, if all it's for is to save him from hell and take him to heaven, why didn't God just kill him on the spot? If that's all it's about, we ought to just have a deacon here with a gun, and a person comes down to get saved. You know, you're, you know you're saved? Yes, sir. You know if he you died, you'd go to heaven? Yes, sir. Okay. Boom. And that's all. <laughs> Let me ask you a question this morning. <clears throat> Don't you think you'd rather live in a city which has no cancer than a city which has cancer? Don't you think, now, I, forgive me, I, maybe, I'm, I, uh, maybe I'm a little bit uh, like this, and, uh, but if I am, a lot of you folks are along the same line, and if I go to Westfield, you'll be right in the next room, right next to me, I'll tell you for sure. But I'm saying this, I'm saying that why in the world would any Christian rather live on earth than live in heaven? I mean, there's a land that is fairer than day, and by faith we can see it afar, for the Father waits over the way to prepare us a dwelling place there. In the sweet by and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore. Well, forgive me, but I just, I ten thousand times, for example, one of our men, oh, one of our deacons, Brother Lynn Smith is in the hospital this morning. I'm not sure he, I know he's in intensive care. I'm not sure whether he had a heart attack or not. One of our fine deacons. Maybe he had a heart attack. Maybe he didn't. They're testing him now. But uh, I'm tired of this whole world. I'm tired of little babies getting leukemia. I'm tired of, of little children being taken prematurely. I'm tired of hearing the news that, that Steve McKeegan has cancer, and Bill McKeegan just died of a heart attack, and Verde Fields, just I sat in motel rooms across this country, and the phone rings, and, and Brother Fisk will call, or I did one time, Miss McKinney calls usually, and says, Pastor, I've got some news for you. I was sitting in the Birmingham, Alabama motel, and the phone rang, and I picked up the phone, and the word came, Vernie Fields died last night, and I was in... Uh, uh, out at the high school, talking to Dr. Dr. Billings, and the phone rang, and word came that Bill McKeegan had dropped dead with a heart attack, and, and on and on it goes. And I'm simply saying, if Jesus saved us to take us to heaven, and that's all, why don't all of us just go on and jump out in Lake Michigan and go on to heaven? He saved us for more than that. Ephesians two eight nine through 10, 8, 2 8 through 10 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But it goes on to say, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works. Or better still, created in Christ Jesus for good works. The world needs us. We're here for a purpose. God help us to fill, full, and fulfill that purpose. Now, why are we here? What are we supposed to do? Okay, I'm here for a purpose. What am I supposed to do? I admit it. I'm, I, if I, if I weren't here for a listen. I believe that every little lady who knows Jesus, who lies in a rest home today on her back with a senile mind, does not even know her name. If her heart is still beating and if she's still breathing, God has a purpose for her being here. If God has that purpose, I want to find that purpose. Now, what is that purpose? Listen to me carefully. The purpose for our being here, ladies and gentlemen, is to do what Jesus did while he was here. This morning, we have an attorney we've hired to represent us. There's a, <clears throat> there's a big uh, uh, indenture about that thick that, we're gonna, that, that, uh, that, that they've made out, the attorneys have made out, we're supposed to sign, and Wednesday we'll close the deal. I'm not going to read that indenture. Neither are you. We're not going to read it to you this morning. Our attorney read that indenture. He represents us. He does what we cannot do. He stands at the courts and represents us. He stands in legal matters and represents us. Now, this morning, Jesus is representing me in heaven, and I am to represent him on earth. Now, what am I to do on earth? I'm to do what he would do if he were here. John 14, 12, our Lord said before we went back to heaven, he said in the upper room. He said, very, very, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, because I go to my Father. Now, what, whether you believe it or not, whether you like it or not, you are here on earth not to make money, not to get a good job, not just to rear a family. You are here on this earth to do what Jesus would do if he lived in Hammond, Indiana. 1 John 4:17. as he is, so are we are, so are ye in this world. I recall when I was your age, kids, I picked up a book one day by Charles Sheldon called In His Steps. I do not recall the story behind the book. I do recall the theme. The theme was this, that we're to do what Jesus would do. In fact, the subtitle is, What Would Jesus Do? What Would Jesus Do? Uh, what, What an example. What, what, a, what a motto. What would Jesus do? At school, what would Jesus do? When you don't know what to do on the test and you're about to cheat, what would Jesus do? When you're tempted to take a drink, what would Jesus do? When somebody offers you a cigarette, what would Jesus do? Every child in this room who knows Jesus, every tottering saint in this room who knows Jesus, and everybody in between is here for one purpose. God did not kill me that night at Farmwood Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas, when I got saved, because God wanted me to be a little Jesus here on this earth. I'm to do what He would do. A few years ago, I became consumed with this, and I studied my Bible. I turned to every passage in my Bible that had anything to do with Christ-likeness. And what Jesus was like. And for example, Philippians 2.5, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. John 13.15 and Ephesians 3.13, other passages that talk about what, what we're supposed to do. And we're supposed to do what Jesus did. We're to think like He thought. We're to love like He loved. We're to forgive like He forgave. We're to do the work that He did. We are to do what Jesus did. If Inland Steel ever sees the love of Christ. They'll have to see it in his people who work at Inland Steel. While passing through this world of woe and others, your life shall view. Be clean, be pure without within. Let others see Jesus in you. Let others see Jesus in you. Let others see Jesus in you. Keep telling the story. Be faithful and true. Let others see Jesus in you. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. Dr. R.G. Lee was driving, uh, boys boys over here, hey fellas, Dr. R.G. Lee was driving Brother John Colston from the airport.
1: Uh, R. Colston was
0: driving R.G. Lee from the airport and R.G. Lee fellowship with him. And of course, you know Brother John, just as good as gold, sort of dumb, but as good as gold. And... uh, just as nice a guy as you'll ever want to meet. Inoffensive and always trying to help people and encourage people and loyal and faithful and so many good things. Here, here, I wouldn't dare say this. Don't tell him I said it. You'll want to raise and pay. But uh, I, Brother R.G. Lee, after he spent an hour, hour or two with, Dr., with Brother Colston, uh, Dr. R.G. Lee said with his southern drawl, he said, Mr. Colston, you remind me of Jesus. Mr. Colston, You remind me of Jesus. One day a little lady wrote me a letter. And she said, dear Brother Hiles, for seven years you've served here. This has been, of course, many years ago. For seven years you've served here. She said, my husband was killing me one night. And you came over and stood between me and my husband. And saved my life. She said, you stood before me. My husband had a knife in his hand. And you stood in front of that knife between me and my husband and risked your own life. She said, you fed my children when they couldn't eat and you clothed them when they had no clothes to wear. And she wrote a little note and she said, my children and I would just like to tell you that since you've been here in Hammond, we think you've lived as the master would have lived. Now, I've not done it, but that's what I want to do. Oh, listen to me, I'd rather be like Jesus and in Hammond Indiana Vienna than have all the doctor's degrees the colleges and seminaries can give. What this whole world needs is somebody to say, Hey world, Jesus isn't here, but here's how he loves. Jesus isn't here, world, but here's how he forgives. Jesus isn't here, world, but here's how he works. Jesus isn't here, folks, but here's how he helps people. We're to spend our lives doing exactly what he would do. If he were here. Well, you say, okay, Brother House, what did he do? Three times in the New Testament we have these words. The Son of Man is come to. The Son of Man is come to three times. First time you'll find it is in Matthew twenty twenty eight says, the Son of Man is come not to be ministered unto, but to minister. Jesus came to minister. If he came to minister and I am to do what he would do if he were here, I am to minister. That word minister means serve. In one place in the New Testament, it means to wait tables. In another place, it means <clears throat> to supply needs. In another place, it means to help the needy. In another place, it means to prepare food. Jesus simply came to say, he came to minister. He came to wipe, to wipe the feet. He came to wash, wash the feet of the disciples. He came not to minister to, but to minister. He came to reach out and heal the sick, not to be ministered unto, but to minister. He came to encourage broken hearts, not to be ministered unto, but to minister. Our Lord did not spend His life seeking a place for Himself. He had no place to lay His head, but He had built houses for others. He had no sleep at night sometimes, but He gave rest to others. He had no food to eat, but He was the living bread. He had no water sometimes to drink, but He was the living water. Jesus in his life, not thinking about himself, but thinking about others. If you Listen, listen, some of you folks this morning, you've got, you got faces on you that absolutely, I wonder sometimes if you wouldn't bleed if you smiled. I'll tell you something, <clears throat> about every one of you who are that way. Every one of you who are not happy. Every one of you who are critical. Every one of you who are cynical. Every one of us like that. We have built our lives around ourselves. If I've echoed anything in these fourteen and a half years from this pulpit, if I've thundered out any message from this pulpit for fourteen and a half years, it's been, forget yourself, forget yourself, forget yourself, and live for others. Lord, let me live from day to day in such a self-forgetful way that even when I kneel to pray, my prayer shall be for others. Others, Lord, yes, others. Let this my motto be. God, let me live for others that I may live like Thee. The most miserable wretch in this room this morning is that person who wants something for himself. Jesus came not to minister to, but to minister. He came to serve. One of the great scriptures in all the Bible is that passage about David when it said David served his own generation by the will of God. This year, as every year, I made some New Year's resolutions. It's January 27th, isn't it? I'm planning my resolutions now for next year. You say, why? The old list has sort of been chewed up a little bit now. But the top resolution I made this year, and I won't tell you the rest, but the first thing I resolved to do this year, I put these words on the top of my New Year's resolution This, Dear Heavenly Father, in 1974, I want to be a servant. Oh, so many people need so much help. This morning as I walked out the door, here came a blind man feeling his way into the service. There are people here this morning. I don't mean to be cocky. I guess I can be without meaning to be, but I don't mean to be cocky. But there are a lot of people this morning here who need me. I've got about 35 little children that don't have daddies that come to my office and said, Brother Hiles, would you be my daddy? About 35 of them. I've got boys in this church that have no daddy and they can't use the family car, teenage boys, unless they get permission from Brother Hiles. I've got little boys that have no daddy, boys and girls both, who come to my office at least once or twice a week just to see me. Just to have me pat them on the head and tell them they're nice looking and I love them and I like them. Oh, let me tell you something. This world is a veil of tears. This world is a veil of tears. And it just seems like with a fist there's nobody who much cares anymore. Everybody's for himself. How much can I get? How much more salary can I get? How much more money can I get? How many, how many, how many uh, fewer hours can I work? How, how much bigger car can I get? Or smaller car? How much more gasoline can I get? How much more can I get? What's in it for me? And that's one reason why we're a pill-taking, nervous breakdown, heart attack, high blood pressure generation. We're living for ourselves when God says the greatest position of all is the position of serving somebody else. Somebody needs you today. Somebody needs you today. I'm not saying if you have high blood pressure, you're a sinner. If you have a heart attack, you're a sinner. I'm not saying. I'm saying we're all swept up in a generation of me, my, mine, I, me, my, mine. Somebody needs to serve. Somebody needs. Needs to serve. What did Jesus come for? The Son of Man has come not to, be, not, not to be ministered unto, but to minister. Second time that the Son is mentioned is in Luke 19.10. The Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. That means that I'm left here to seek the lost. That means I'm left here to win folks to Jesus Christ. That means if I'm not winning folks to Christ, I'm not fulfilling the will of God for my life. And thirdly, he came to give his life a ransom. For many. For the Lord way, I can't go to the cross and die for the sins of the world. I'm not the holy, blameless son of God. If I went to a cross and died, it'd just be a death. I could not give my life as a substitute for the sins of people. But i said tell you what I can do. I can give my life for people. May I say this? I want our church to grow. And listen to this if you've not heard a word I've said. I want our church to grow. I think it'd be a sin for a church in this area with these millions of people here not to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And I, think, well, I think the advantages of having a big church like this, many advantages, many. But I was sitting in a, Restaurant yesterday, and a friend of mine who's known me for many years before I ever came to this church. The kind of guy that'll call me Jack. The kind of guy that, that 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 you know I can tell my, I don't see him often, but I love him. The kind of guy I can tell my problems to if I could see him often. And we're sitting across the table, and he looked at me and he said, "Jack." He said, when I stop and think of the magnitude of your ministry and how God has blessed you multiplied times through these years. I find it hard to believe that I'm sitting across the table from the pastor of the largest church in the world. And he said, you're just the same old Jack that you were way back under. But then he said something. He said, but I know. I know a burden you have. I said, what's that? He said, you're lonely. You're lonely. And I said, I'm not either. Yes, he said, you are too. (laughs) He said, I know you well enough. You're lonely for your people. He said, I knew you when you had a few hundred people. He said, you love them so much that you wish you could be with all of them all the time. I got to thinking about that. I got to thinking about all the places I'd like to be at the same time. I've got this many phone calls. I've tried to call, can't get them. They've tried to get me. All of these are people I need to talk to, and they need me, and they need me desperately. All of these are phone calls. Of people that are trying to get me. I wasn't available when they called. And I'm trying to call them back. All of these. I didn't intend to do this. But I just happened to have them. wonder how long it takes me to call all those people. All of them need help. And I'm only one person. And I go day and night. Oh, let me tell you something. Why don't you help me help people? Why don't you help me help people? A world out is in need of somebody to help. Little boys and girls have no mamas and daddies and they need somebody to help them. I've had so many kids come to my office this year saying, Brother Hiles, I want to go to school. And I can't afford it. I said, I'll pay you away. <laughs> I figured I had three or four thousand dollars promised. Kids I promised to pay their way this year. the other day, I called out and had them to let me know how much I owed them. They sent my bill for the semester of the year. It's eleven thousand dollars. I've been trying I've been praying ever since then, Lord, I don't wish anything on my rich uncle if I've got one, but if he has to go, he may as well go this semester as any semester. Everybody's got to go sometime, you know. What I'm trying to say is, Jesus would have done that if he were here. He went about doing good, the Bible says. He went about doing good. We need some folks to go about doing good. What have you done this week for somebody? Hey, let me ask you a question. What have you done this week that Jesus would have done had he been here? Huh? Think back over the week. Huh? What have you done that Jesus would have done if he had been here? And I got to thinking this morning. I looked out over the audience. And I I thought, I saw these flowers. I wish I had time. Oh, honestly. I got in last night. Oh, Harry Field at 625. Brought my suitcases back and came in. And when I got here, folks are waiting to see me. And I finally crawled in bed about 1.15 this morning. And that's the way I live. But I can't get around. Why don't you decide to help people? There's some little bus kid over in Chicago that needs a pat on the back from you today. There's somebody to kick in the pants too, but there's somebody to pat on the back. (laughs) There's a little boy on your bus route going to go home this morning. His dad's going to beat him. Little boy that little boy came forward on the Sunday. Little blind boy, and I told you about it, went upstairs to baptize him. It was cold. Man up there said he has no shoes. And all he had was some rubber boots to put on his feet, no socks, just rubber boots against his feet. I mean the kind you put over your shoes. Little blind fellow. And I've gone to bed at night lately thinking about that little blind boy that the other day. Somebody told him if he trust Jesus, he'd go to heaven. He trusted Jesus and came to the services. He wanted to know if this was heaven. You want to know there's some, there's some openings, some positions open. Wanted. Good pay, eternally. Long hours. Sleepless nights. Wanted. Help. Wanted. To encourage the blind. Encourage the deaf. Feed the poor. Help the needy. As our Lord did. Think of his life. Flying Bartimaeus beside the road. Zacchaeus. Hungry for God. Of the tree. Little children. He took time to bless. Peter's mother-in-law. Somebody said that Peter hated the Lord ever since. He raised his mother-in-law. But Peter's mother-in-law. And here's a little lady over here, sick. And here's a woman with an issue of blood. He went about doing good all the time. We only have one life to live. The other day I I got Dr. Rice who was sitting with me in a restaurant. He said, did you hear? I said, hear what? He said, did you hear Dr. Noel Smith died? I said, no. Dr. Noel Smith. Editor of the Baptist Bible Tribune, one of the leaders of the Baptist Bible Fellowship movement for years. I've known him for years, brother Sully. Strange, but my crowds are beginning to pass off now. I mean, yesterday I was a kid preacher. Yesterday folks came by the parsonage and sent in your father home. Yesterday, we were all young. A ministry ahead of us. Now in the crowd that I grew up with, I'm beginning to see crow's feet for the eyes and receding foreheads. I'm beginning to see quivering hands. I'm beginning to get reports that some of my crowd is passing off the scene. Last evening's sun is sinking low a few more days and I must go to meet the deeds I right have done, where there will be no setting sun. While going down this weary road, I'll try to help some travelers load. I'll try to change the night to day. Let flowers bloom along the way. Ladies and gentlemen, we only pass this ray one time. Just one time. Just once. It'll be gone after a while. Let's raise ourselves and live continually. Not for ourselves, but for others being a servant, not being ministered unto. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit KNVBC.com for Christian music you can trust.